good to get up and down. And let's welcome Anita as she comes and shares the word this morning. Give her a big hand. Thank you. Just stay standing and why don't we pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for the opportunity to be with your people. And Lord, to learn of you and from you. I pray today, Lord, that you would use me as a vessel in your hands. Father, that it wouldn't be my words, but you would speak. And that you would speak to every heart individually what they need to hear and receive from you today. And Lord, that our ears would be tuned to hear what you're saying and our hearts open to receive from you. Lord, that we would not leave here the way we came. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to need a clicker or are you going to pop for me? Oh, here it is. All good. It's right here. Okay. How cool is that graphic? I pinched it offline. I was like, that's great. But I do have great news. Now, what happens when you've been given some good news? Do you just want to sit calmly and not tell anyone? They're all so holy looking. If I get good news, the first thing I want to do is tell everybody. Because you, you, it's, you just need to know this. Well, yeah, you know what I find interesting? I, I wonder I'd love to ask God this. You know when you, you get to heaven and you have all these things like, I just want to ask God about it. Genesis chapter 1, he talks about creation and everything that he made. And we can see when we look around us, there's some beautiful spots on this earth, isn't there? Some absolutely gorgeous parts of creation. But God just says, the evening and the morning were whatever day, and God saw that it was good. I'm like, come on, not even great? Like, seriously. And I know that it's called the good news. But I mean, it's great. So I have to use other adjectives. But I have great news today. And that is the day three came and Jesus is alive. You know what? Sometimes we just have to remember that we don't have a dead, boring, dull, angry, unreachable God that we have a God who is alive. Yeah. And not just alive. Uh, he, you know, we could say, well, he's alive, but he could still be distant. But he's not. He's alive and he's ever present with us always. He is an amazing God. We're going to just delve into all sorts of stuff today. But I love this scene the empty cross in the background, and the angel saying to Mary, you seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He, he is risen. He's not here. <sighs> Are we seeking him still in a tomb? Are we sort of thinking that his power is limited? Ah. <sighs> Check out what Jesus said about himself in Revelation chapter 1. I love this. I am the living one. I was dead, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys to death and hell. Yeah. <sighs> now, 
I'm feeling real excited because I know that today God wants to release us into his resurrection power. And what is the resurrection power for? Well, let's, let's think about this. Our sin was not greater than our saviour. He conquered sin and death for us. <clears throat> Pardon me. And this is really important. I want us to think about this. What is the resurrection power of God used for in believers? Now, when I was a kid, I heard amazing stories of what God could do and had done. I mean, we read accounts from the Bible of a God who could send plagues upon a nation to release his people and set them free, <clears throat> who could literally part a sea and it becomes dry land for his people to walk across. We, we hear all kinds of stories of God interacting in people's lives and it's just amazing. My own mum had so many encounters with the Lord Growing up, I was used to seeing the power of God in action in our home. Um, my mum, in her early 20s, had a condition called scoliosis, which is curvature of the spine. And one of her shoulders was about this much lower than the other one. She was like this. And God miraculously healed her. Her shoulder grew and, and her spine aligned. And for the rest of her days, my mum was never bothered, never troubled with that again. I saw the power of God. I saw many people healed, set free and delivered by the power of Jesus Christ in my childhood. Um, another time my mum was in a church service and the, the pastor at the time had said, there's someone here... Um, the Lord's telling me you've got trouble with your hands, that you can't open your hands. Well, my mum had been booked in for surgery for both hands. She had severe carpal tunnel and could not extend her fingers. And he said, if you just reach your hands out to praise the Lord, he's going to heal you. So my mum put her hands up like that, and as she did, her fingers just grew out like that. Both her hands instantly healed. She never had to have those operations. I have seen the power of God in my own life. But I think sometimes when we see the wondrous power of God, we can get a little bit distracted from the true purpose of that power. What is the purpose of the power of God in our lives? What is it there for? Is it to make us great? Is it so that we can go and be famous, so we can hold heaps of meetings and everybody come and flock because we have the anointing of God? Is it to, to sort of glorify his people? Not at all. I really want to have a look at this. Let's look at Romans yeah, chapter 8. And if you've got your Bibles, don't just believe what I put up there. Have a look for yourself. Uh, get it open. Romans chapter 8. And uh, we're going to go through some of these verses from verse 10 to 14. As you can see, I have underlined a few bits. Uh, and if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. 
I want to go to the next one, then I'll unpack it a little more. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Okay. Talks about raising Jesus from the dead. The power of God, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, he wants to indwell us. This same Spirit, this resurrection power of the Lord wants to live in us. For what purpose? Ah, let's just have a think for a moment. What did Jesus do when he was raised from the dead? It would be really tempting if I was Jesus and I'd been telling everybody that I was the way and the truth and the life and that I was the son of the Father and, and they hadn't believed me. It'd be so tempting once I'd risen from the dead to just walk downtown and eyeball You know, they'd seen him on the cross. Wouldn't that just be wonderful just to take a leisurely stroll down Jerusalem Lane and hi, see his hands? <laughs> oh, why didn't he do that? For starters, our God is not proud. In fact, pride is our downfall as humanity. But what was his power for? Well, we read it. Jesus said, I have the keys of death and hell. I'm alive forevermore. The power of his resurrection was to conquer sin and death for us, not for himself. He is life. But for us. So he wants us to have his power to conquer sin and death. All right. So it's talking about all sorts of stuff here. If you're living in according to the flesh, you'll die. According to the spirit, you will have life. Let's unpack this a bit more. In Romans, if we just sort of go back a couple of chapters, Romans 6, 3 to 14, it says this, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. I've got to tell you something. I didn't wear them today because it didn't match, and I like my outfit to match. But um, I got some new shoes. They are sneakers, and they were quite expensive, but I'm going to wear them for work all the time. And something happened when I put them on. Um, I was like, oh. do any of you ever put your joggers on and all of a sudden you 
got a bit of a spring in your step, a little bit of energy. Well, these are like really, I don't know, I don't know if you've got inbuilt springs or something, but I put them on and I'm like, wow. I'm walking on air. I can. Well, you know what? We've been raised with Christ and we should walk in newness of life. There should be this new, wow. I know I look the same, but I've got life inside of me. I've got to give you an example. So you all know we've just recently moved house, right? And the first two days after we moved, every time I left a work site or I left the shops or whatever, you know what direction my car wanted to take? I wanted to go the old way. And, and I even did this at one point, right? I actually drove past the old house where we used to live. And I looked at the familiar driveway and I looked at the familiar gardens and, and oh, the wheel just wanted to turn in because that was so familiar. But my brain's going, no, but wait a minute, that's not home anymore. I'm going to drive this direction because that's not home anymore. And I had this really cool revelation that that's what happens to us when we come to Christ. The Bible says we are a new creation. We have been born again. We have new life. And what often can happen is that we go, wow, I'm in this amazing new house. And then we go and we start to live and we want to go back to what's familiar. We want to go back to our old patterns, our old habits, our old lifestyle. And, and we've got to remember, hang on, I don't live there anymore. Now, our old house had beautiful gardens. But guess what? Beautiful gardens require a lot of weeding and a lot of trimming and a lot of work. And, and even though my car and all of me just wanted to go back to what was familiar, I looked at those gardens and then went, thank God I don't have to do that anymore. Thank God I don't have to do all that work anymore, look after all that. And, you know, the same thing happened to the children of Israel. They were gloriously set free from their slave masters. Be beautifully released, powerfully released. They were a free people. And what did they start doing? Man, I miss the leeks and onions in Egypt. Oh, I miss the meat we had. And all that. Oh. They wanted to go back to what was familiar, not actually because it was great, but because it was the way they had known. Have any of you ever done that? Have you ever gone somewhere new and you get up and you try and use the bathroom and it's not where it's supposed to be? Did that happen for the first two weeks in our house? I get up in the middle of the night and I'm in the wardrobe. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> it's a different direction. It's all new. But it's amazing. Well, you know what? We're supposed to walk in the newness of life. <sighs> Certainly, we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Do you remember the story of the two, the two guys who were walking on the road to Emmaus? And they were like, so sad. 
It's so sad that their countenance was just fully showing their grief. And Jesus, in disguise, comes and walks alongside them and asks them what's troubling them. And they can't believe he's the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't know what's been going on and how this Jesus father just got crucified and, and they're so confused. And it says that starting with the, the Psalms and the prophets and Moses, he showed them, oh, showed them himself, expounded to them, hey, look, I was prophesied here that I would go through this and go through that. Oh, something started to happen as they were reminded of the scriptures. But the moment of truth came for them when they broke the bread. Well, actually, when they invited their guests to stay for dinner and he broke the bread. And their eyes were opened and they recognised Jesus. Because they were feasting. They said to each other, oh, didn't our hearts burn within us? when he was talking with us on the road. You know what often happens? We're looking at the past. We're looking at the death. We're looking at all the things that we've done wrong and our guilt and our shame and, and all of this stuff, and we're fixated on it. And we forget that he's alive. He conquered sin and death. And he's right here with us. And as we feast and feed and we look at him, our eyes will be open and we'll begin to see, hang on a minute, I can live in the likeness of his resurrection. What does that mean? you got new shoes. You don't live and walk the old way anymore. Now you live as someone who is risen from the dead like Christ. No longer a slave to sin, no longer a slave to death. See, sin loves to have a loud voice. It loves to lure you away and then it loves to condemn you with its shame. It loves to tell you how bad you are and how lousy you are and remind you again and again of your failings and your mistakes and your weaknesses. It wants you to be its slave. But we have a risen saviour who conquered sin, who conquered that loud voice, who we can then stand and say, hang on a minute, I don't live there anymore. That's not my weed garden to, to sort out. I have a new home. I have a new tent that I live in. I am a new creation in Christ. And sin, you are not my master anymore. You don't get a say in this house. I'm going to live in the likeness of his resurrection. He was resurrected into perfection. I'm going to live and walk in a manner that is worthy of my king. And I can do that because Jesus conquered sin. You know, sin, it says it's pleasurable for a season, but it always takes you further than you want to go. And then it'll lock the door and keep you captive and not let you free. But God, ah. I've got to tell you something about this resurrection. You know, the, the worst day for the devil was when Jesus walked out of that tomb, right? That was, that was his worst day. You know what happens every time someone comes to know Jesus and they go from death to life? There's an internal resurrection. 
and the devil relives that moment again. He thought he had you in a tomb. He thought he had you sealed and signed and delivered to the door of hell. But Jesus, he's still releasing people. And he comes and he sets another captive free and another one walks out of that grave. And he relives that moment again where he has no keys anymore. He has no power. He has no authority. He cannot keep you down because Jesus holds the keys and he set us free. Let's keep going in Romans here. So it says, knowing this, that our old man, now I did read that twice because I'm like, you know, if you, you call someone an old man, you better duck. <laughs> but knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, and the body, sorry, that the body of sin might be done away with, and we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. <clears throat> Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're supposed to be alive to God. Absolutely, wonderfully, gloriously alive. You know what? You know what I think I'm going to do tomorrow? I think I'm going to wake up and I'm going to say, oh, good morning, Jesus. He's so sweet. Do you know he wakes me every morning with a song? Every single morning with a beautiful song. So I'm going to enjoy his song. I'm going to say good morning. And then I'm going to say, <clears throat> devil, I'm awake. Because guess what? Jesus lives in me. And I live in him. And we're going to conquer today sin and death. I'm going to walk in newness of life. And I am going to not just talk about being a Christian. I'm actually going to live like a Christian because I have power over sin and death through my risen Savior. I am risen with him. See, I'm alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, I'm back on the scripture, verse 12. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. Okay. Time for honesty in the room. Who's had a habit that they've found hard to break? Anyone? Ah. Oh. Me too. No, unfortunately, I had more than one. <laughs> but it's like that whole new house thing. We need to remember, hey, I don't have a to snap at my kids. I can respond in love and patience. Not because I'm great or have my own ability to do it, but I do have his ability. And I'm not a slave to sin. I don't have to get angry. Anger is not my master. I can be loving and full of patience. and I can be like 
him because he conquered sin. It's time we start seeing sin for what it is. It is a defeated master that no longer can have control over us. <sighs> okay, so verse 13. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. You are not under law, but under grace. Grace, his grace is your power. Christ was raised from the dead. Even so, we should walk in newness of life. <sighs> so good. Newness of life. Okay, here's one of my favourites. You might all know this passage. 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. His divine power has given unto us all things, but it didn't stop there. We're not just given power. Just like you wouldn't give to a child a loaded gun and just say, go have fun. <laughs> right, his divine power is for a specific reason that he's given it to us. What do we do with this power? His divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Wow. We have power from God to be godly. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye may be partakers of the divine nature. The power of God and the promises of God are actually so we can partake in his divine nature. So we can have power over sin. So we can be like him, not in his infiniteness, but we can be like him in his character. We can walk in love. Do you know, I've been reading through 1 John many, many times. And it just keeps talking about, you know what, they'll know that you are believers by the love you have for one another. They will, they will know that you belong to me because you love one another. Hey, this is my commandment that you love one another. Hey, guess what? A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. By the time I got to the end of the book, I went, I feel like you're trying to tell me something. Huh. You know, maybe I'm supposed to be not focused on how to get the power of God, but how to use the power of God to walk in love to walk in forgiveness, to walk in patience, to walk in kindness, to walk in long-suffering. I'm supposed to use the power of God to overcome sin and death on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. Oh, his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. We don't have to be slaves to sin anymore. Now, how am I going to talk? I've got heaps of time. This is great. I'm going to make sure that clock's right. Okay. 
So 1 Peter 1, 3-9 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, I want to just pause because when I read this from Peter, well, I think about the Peter in the Gospels that we read about. How many of you have ever felt like you could relate to Peter in the Gospels? I know I do. But this same Peter that was quite a loud mouth and, you know, quickly outspoken as a disciple of Jesus, this same Peter is talking about an abundant mercy that has come from God and that he has begotten us again to a living hope. That's, a, that's amazing because Jesus, by the time Peter wrote this, Jesus had already ascended to heaven. So Peter's learning how to walk and live in Christ without Christ physically here on the earth. He's talking about a living hope. And all around him, Peter sees the same Roman soldiers that put Jesus on the cross. He sees the same government ruling the land. He sees corruption. He sees violence. He sees fear and terror on all sides. He's living under Roman rule. And yet he writes this about Jesus, who has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I wonder if when he looked around, he, he didn't focus on the Roman soldiers. He, he thought about, oh, I remember when Jesus appeared and he was walking the streets, full of life, resurrected. That's my king. If he can do that, then he can resurrect me. It doesn't matter what happens to this body because I am alive in him. I have a living hope. And he goes on to say, an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. That's a really good thing. Did anyone hear the news that there was this rather large bank in America that, well, went belly up? Did you hear that news? Well, you think about all those people that had put and invested their money in that bank and all of a sudden it's lost. But we have an inheritance, incorruptible and undefiled, that does not fade away. It's not reserved for you in the Reserve Bank of Australia. It's not reserved for you in any other currency. It's reserved for you in heaven. Why? Because that's where it's incorruptible. Hey, that's where we're supposed to be living. Remember, seated in heavenly places with Christ. So we're not supposed to be like fixated on the things of this earth. I've got a funny story for you. This morning, 
It was so windy, and I know Patrick here has you know, a car at the moment. And um, so I sent him a message, hey, do you want me to pick you up? And I, honestly, as I'm driving to church, I'm saying to Timothy, check my phone. Has Patrick replied? And I didn't know he was walking just down the street. <laughs> I just drove on. I, I wasn't, I wasn't sort of looking to see if, if he was on the way. I was, I was fixated on how to fix it. And, and sometimes I think we can do the same. We get so sort of fixated on this stuff or this stuff that we're looking at that we we forget what we're actually supposed to be looking at, who we're supposed to be looking at. And our life isn't about this stuff. I've just packed up a house and I had way too much stuff. <laughs> it's, it's not about stuff. It's not about this realm at all. It's, we have a new life. It's about him. He is our life. Oh. So I'm at verse 5 now. Who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Now please remember again who's saying this. This is Peter. The one who said to Jesus, I will never forsake you. I will never turn my back on you. Jesus, I am with you today. If I have to die for you, you, have, you can count on me. You have a friend in me. He was like, but what happened? We know he denied Jesus. We can't, we can't live for him. We can't stay connected to him. We can't even be faithful to him in our own ability. The amazing thing here, it says that we are kept by the power of God. He keeps us. We don't keep him. He keeps us. That's exciting. It is, look, Peter felt the same. Look at verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice. <laughs> Peter knew firsthand what it was like to be kept by Jesus. Though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honour and glory at the revelation of Jesus. It's always about Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. That's cool. Peter acknowledges, hey, I might have seen him and, and loved him, but now I, I know him differently. And all of you who've never seen him, but you love him, yeah, it's because he's been revealed to us through the Holy Spirit. Though now you do not see him yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. <sighs> this is our Jesus. This is who we serve. He is so amazing. Peter has some more good things to tell us. Uh, but I want to just do a little bit of a, a skip first. So um, I'm going to reenact something that actually happened in real life uh, just the other day. So I was 
driving, uh, sorry, Jeremy driving home. We're talking on the phone. And um, let me just get his number up here. So I'm going to call my husband. I've asked him to go into another room with the microphone so you can hear our conversation. I promise I won't make it too mushy or anything. So, so we're talking on the phone. I'm the sweetest love of my life. <laughs> <laughs> I said I wouldn't make it too mushy. Maybe I should have told you that. <laughs> 17 plus years. What can I do for you? I'm hearing you in stereo. It's really weird, actually. But, um, well, I just wanted to chat with you and tell you about my day and ask you about yours. And okay. This, is, a, this is a regular thing that happens daily and I do a lot of listening here. <laughs> <laughs> but he talks to me as well. I do let you get away sometimes. Uh, one or two. I forgot I was supposed to be talking in the microphone. <laughs> Sorry. I'm like a bit fixated on who's talking to me. Okay. So we were like chatting like this, just talking and... And then um, all of a sudden, like, obviously he must have pulled up in the garage, but we were just having a great conversation. And um, you're still there, love? Yeah, I'm still here. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, so probably we should go over, like, what do you, what do you have this week? What are our plans? What, what stuff do we need to think about? Well, we need to keep unpacking. There's lots of unpacking yeah, to do. Yeah, that's just... Boxes everywhere. Yeah. yeah. So cool. Oh! And then this is what happened. They're talking on the phone. And, and he's literally, yes. Hi. Well, let me do this. Yeah. Oh, she hung up on me. <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking on the phone, and then the next thing, he's pulled into the garage, walked into the house, and but we just continued the conversation in person. And Ron Kardonke was asked something he knew he didn't have much longer left on this earth and he was going to be with his Lord in heaven. And, and they said to him, how are you feeling about finally getting to see Jesus face to face? And, you know, what, what do you think it's going to be like? And what are you going to feel? What are you going to experience, Reinhardt? And he said, oh, it's not going to be much different to what it is now. I already know him. We, we have such a close relationship. It's like he's just, you know, you just continue the conversation in person. It should be that natural. The, the relationship should be that close that it's not like when we meet him, we'll go, oh, is that who you are? We should be like, oh, you're here. I'm here because we know him. Even though we can't see him, we can know him. In fact, that's like the one thing Paul said to pursue. He said, I'm, I'm laying aside everything else for one reason, that I may know him. That nothing else matters. It's hard sometimes not to get into mental ascent where you know about him. You know that he's loving. You know that he's kind. You know that he's patient. You know that he's faithful. You know that he's powerful. You can know a lot about him. But he wants us to have that sweet fellowship with him. 
that were talking and walking with him. <sighs> so let's have a look at Peter's exhortation. Let me just see how. Uh, yeah. We'll go through it quickly. Okay. Whoops. That's right. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust. Don't drive back to the old house. You don't live there anymore. As in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. What does holy mean? It means to be separated for a purpose, set apart. He's calling us just as he's set apart and perfect and holy, that we would be the same. Because as it is written, be holy for I am holy. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Our hope is not in this world. It's not in the things of this world. Our hope is in God and God alone. The one who lit the spark in our hearts has called us to know him and make him known. So, uh, let, me, let me ask maybe this gentleman over here. Do you know the name of a famous soccer player from any team at all? Yeah? From Brazil? Yeah. Can you give me a name? Neymar. 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 Okay. What can you tell me about Neymar? Uh, yeah. Come on, <laughs> Poor Jeremy always gets picked up. Okay, what can you tell me? About, um, what does he look like? Uh, he's tall. Not too bad. Yeah. Um, facial hair, clean shaven. Yeah, clean shaven. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um, what's his personality? What's he like? Uh, he likes soccer. He likes soccer. <laughs> Do you know much more about him? No, nothing. <laughs> now, let me ask you about your mates over here, Andrea. <laughs> what can you tell me about Adrian? What kind of person is he? Adrian is a good friend. I know him well. Does he snore? A <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Adrian. <laughs> uh, 
Jeremy can tell me a lot more about his friend because even though he knows of a famous soccer player, he doesn't know him, but he knows not about Adrian, he knows him. And that's what God is saying for us. Thank you. That was really good. Can we give him a hand? So what I'm trying to say is, if you start talking to someone about Jesus, they don't know if you know about him or if you know him. Because if I talk to you about my husband, do you believe that I have a relationship with him just from the way I talk? I hope so. Um, Because when you know someone, you tend to reference things, you say things in a familiar way. You've got a different feel than if I was to just prattle off knowledge that I'd learned about someone online. It's really different. So the world are looking for a living hope. And when we're talking with them and engaging with them, are they looking at us and going, oh, their eyes are just sparkling. Like, they really know this Jesus. Maybe I should investigate further. Are they seeing him peek out through your eyes? Are they seeing him in your actions and what you're doing? They're like, I see what you mean. I remember a missionary, he, he, um, he went to Papua New Guinea. He has a story called the pineapple story, and I don't have time to go into it all because he had a garden of pineapples, but it's a very, very engaging long story. But he, the, the tribe he was called to, they were an unreached people group, and he said they were chronic thieves, stole everything. He said if they put their nappies out on the back line, the nappies would get stolen, the pegs would get stolen, and they'd show up at his door the next day and they got a peg through the nose or hanging off their ear. And, and he said, oh, thank you, I've been looking for that. And just take it back. But, oh, they would steal everything. They would steal the pineapples out of his garden while they were green, before they were ripe, and he never got one bit of produce. And oh, he would get so frustrated with them. Eventually he got to the point where he had to give everything he had to God so that they weren't stealing from him anymore. It's God's, he can deal with it. Because it was ruining his health, he had to let it go. Well, they came up to him one day after he'd given everything to God and they arrived on his front doorstep, the whole village with all their spears. Tuan, Tuan, you come out. That was their name for him, white man, you come out. So he'd come out and he's like, "Mm mm-hmm. And they said, because um, he told them that he'd given his garden to God. They said, we want to know, does your God see in the dark? Because they were still stealing all the pineapples. And uh, he said, yes, yes, he does. And they think like this. They rub their nose. Because all their women, infertile, suddenly no babies. As they're stealing from God, everything going wrong. They say, to one, we don't want your God to have garden anymore. We want you to take it back. (laughs) And when he had given the garden over to God, 
they said to him one day, they said, ah, oh, to Warren, you become Christian. He'd been serving there for years as a missionary. He didn't have one convert. They said, you become Christian. He said, what do you mean? They said, all these years you tell us about Christian. We want to meet what? And now, to one, you become Christian. You're not angry white men anymore. <laughs> they said, he felt so bad. All these years he'd been trying to witness for Christ and they were looking for an example of Christ. So he told them when they're all there with the spears and they're telling him he's got to take the garden back because nothing's going right and his God can see in the dark. And um, he says to them, listen, if I take the garden back, I'm going to be an angry white man again. And he said, I'm really enjoying being a Christian. Do you think I could keep being a Christian? Oh, come on, think. They finally let him keep the garden and they began to come to know this Christ. Isn't it amazing? <sighs> that should be our pursuit. Just like Paul says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. That's what's more important than anything else. And we know him more than anything else that we may know him. That's what matters. So I know, I've resolved in my heart that this week I would like my ears to be finely tuned to the conviction of the Holy Spirit because I don't want to live my old way. I want to put my new shoes on and walk in newness of life. There's a reason that he convicts us. It's not to bring us into shame or condemnation. It's to set us free. It's to remind us that we are free from sin and death. We are not in bondage anymore. We are free. Ah. That little prompting, don't do that, don't say that, or go here, go there, just to be finely tuned so that my children can not say, Mum, be nice to meet a Christian. They can actually say, Mum, I can see Christ in you. Wow. So that those around me can look at me and say, you kind of remind me of Jesus. Oh, to be like him, to know him, to have that beautiful intimate relationship. We're going to come around communion now. Even the name, communion, you know? Communication with him. Although unlike me with my husband, it's probably a good idea to let him do the talking from time to time. But remember those two on the way to Emmaus when Jesus broke the bread, they had their eyes opened. If you're willing, in this moment, you can have your eyes open to know him. To know him, to have a beautiful, deep, intimate relationship with him.
let's just take the, the first emblem in our hands, this little wafer representing the body of Jesus so badly beaten and broken for us. Daddy, what can we say? If you and Jesus hadn't loved us so much, we'd still be slaves to sin. We'd still be under the death penalty. We'd have no way out. We could never have been redeemed unless you went to the cross and you paid the price for us. Lord, I, I don't want to operate in a head knowledge of you. I want to know you intimately acquainted with you. And from the bottom of my heart, from our hearts, we want to say thank you and that we love you. And that there is no saviour like you. Muhammad wouldn't give his life to save. Buddha wouldn't give his life. No one else would give his life. But you did. You ransomed us and redeemed us when we were ugly in our sin, Lord. When we were filled with hatred and shame, you took our sin upon yourself. You allowed your body to be broken so that you were unrecognizable, so that we could be made whole. We could have new life. Thank you, Jesus. Why don't you just talk to him when you're ready, let's take the first envelope. made a 
alive again because he conquered sin and death. His blood is enough, more than enough, for any sin, no matter how large or small. So we thank you, Jesus. Just partake when you're ready. those empty cups. I want to give you an opportunity today. You can have an empty cup too. Empty of sin, empty of shame, empty of your past. You can be made new. Jesus said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him doesn't have to perish, but could have everlasting life. So if you would just bow your heads in this place today. I do this so that you're not distracted with anyone around you. I want to give an opportunity for you to respond to the amazing, incredible love of God. To this Jesus who would allow himself to be beaten, bruised, battered, hung on a cross, rejected by everybody, not because he'd done anything wrong, but because he was bearing the weight of our sin. This Jesus loves you. And he gives you an invitation. Come. Come follow me. Come to the foot of the cross. Allow me to cleanse you of your sins. Allow me to wash you. Allow me to give you a new life, to make you a new creation. The past gone forever. To become a son and a daughter of God. If you're in this place and you say, Anita, I would love to have that new life. I would love to have power over sin and my addictions and my bad habits and all my mistakes. I would love to be able to kick them to the curb. I want this resurrection power you're talking about. I want this Jesus. Would you put your hand up this morning? Just acknowledge. Thank you. Anyone else in the room today? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I want this Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. I see those hands. We're going to pray if you like, you can pray it after me. Those who raised their hands, even if you didn't, if you want to be included, just join in. Why don't we say this? Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for me, for my sins. Please wash me clean with your blood. Make me new. Make me a child of God. Choose to follow you and walk with you for the rest of my life in your name. 